Today is December 16th, 2018. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina or Sarsi Nation. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. And I want to start off by saying Oki, I'm Mikochis Chestakom Aki, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. I honor the Blackfoot um, as this is their territory. And even though I was born and raised here, it doesn't mean that I don't understand that I'm still a visitor here. So my spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, which was given to me in black in ceremony. Sorry, um, my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. Um, I was born here in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, which is a very English name that has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yolanda's Dene. And for folks who may not understand what I mean by that, that means even if we call ourselves Satu Dene, uh, the Canadian government says, nah, you were Yellowknife Dene. So what happens um, by the Canadian government is that they'll call people something that they may or may not agree to. So like Sutina is doing a lot of taking back of their um, Sutina language in order to, you know, take back some of the stuff that was taken away from them. The Sarti, so a lot of people call them Sarsi. And that may or not be wrong. I should probably ask uh, one of our elders there what their thoughts are on uh, Sutina versus Sarsi and how that came to be the history there. Anyway, I should probably also say that my father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and status card. So I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare People, also called the Great Bear Lake People in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Um, but if you were here and you were listening to a Blackfoot, you may actually see somebody touching their elbow and calling it Mokinstis. And of course, that's the Blackfoot name for this area. So land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest. Uh, any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk my world and my red road. So if you're experiencing any emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today uh, and you want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's open 24 uh, hours a day, seven days a week. And if you're non-Indigenous, there's a distress center line in your area that I'm sure you can contact as well. 
My Patreon account is Native Calgarian. Thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to our show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions, and we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, NativeCalgarian.com is also up. So I'm sure you've all noticed I've taken a couple of weeks of a break. (laughs) Truth is, it hasn't been a break from podcasting nearly as much as it had been extremely busy and stressful in my life the last two weeks. Um, My husband had to go out of town for a bunch of work, and between that and a new campaign I'm running, I'm extremely busy. So a lot of people have been asking me, you know, what is going on in your life right now? So I thought I'd give you a quick rundown as to what I'm working on right now. Um, So I started a Facebook page called Save Prince of Peace. I've started um, an email campaign with folks. We have a few volunteers that are really stepping up. And basically what's happening is that the school that my daughter's been in for the last eight years is going through school closing procedures. That's the technical term the Alberta government gives when um, a school has to close following uh, one of the acts that are, are legislated. And the school is actually situated in Rocky View School District. It's just barely outside of town. And with the new um, expropriation of land in the area, there's it's kind of in Calgary, but it's kind of not in Calgary. So it's, it's in a, a really awkward place right now. So anyway, this land was originally private land and it was uh, bought and paid for by Lutheran. Um, They had another fund that actually bought and paid it and the Lutheran church, the idea was everybody put their life savings into this and when, you know, you collectively put all your money together, it helps run your, your uh, private community, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. The school itself went public before I put my daughter into it and became part of the Rocky View School District. And then the land actually went into receivership because they had so many Lutheran folk that were, you know, getting old and and accessing their money. And then, unfortunately, their fund, whatever happened there, I'm not going to speak on it, but you can Google it and have a look. The end of the day, the land is in receivership, and the land itself went to a group called Sage Properties. Sage Properties has been uh, working with Rocky View School District and signing leases in order to maintain and keep the school open. But um, the latest lease agreement hasn't been reached yet. And, you know, a lot of this is hearsay. I'm not going to lie. I've been trying really hard to find in-minute notes, official notes about where we're at, official numbers, and I'm I'm really coming across a lot of barriers. So basically what has happened from what I'm hearing, this is hearsay, is that Sage Properties wanted to have a lease with the intention at, at the end of the lease that the land would be purchased. So my understanding is that the Rocky View went to the government to try, the Alberta government, to try to get them to purchase the land. And my understanding is because a school that was previously made as a private school cannot be purchased by the Alberta government, that that is a closed door. Um, Rocky View itself has a slideshow 
that we've made public on our on our um, Facebook page, as well as they've made public on the Rocky View website. And actually, we've gotten a really great bit of news from uh, Livewire. They covered our story, and they actually show all these slides that I'm referring to, so you can kind of understand what I'm saying by going through them. So basically, because this school is at the point that nobody wants to buy the land or nobody will commit to buying the land, uh, they have to go through school closing procedures because the lease is coming up and the lease is until August of 2019, which means this will be the last year for everyone there if they don't uh, reach an agreement, if they don't sign a lease or they don't, um, you know, purchase the land, however that looks. Um, unfortunately, it's like everybody is making everybody look like a bad guy. Um, the, and I, do, I don't want to say yes or no. So what I've been trying to do is empower the parents. And, um, you know, a few of them looked at me and said, hey, you're political. What do we do? So I, the very first night we had a public uh, meeting where Rocky View presented and there was a representative from Sage Properties there as well. And they gave us the news that this is what's happening. I, um, you know, set up my computer, printed off some papers, asked people to give us their name, their number and their address. And we've been doing our best we can to try to stay in contact with folks and encouraging them what we know. And, you know, because the Alberta government is part of the stakeholders, we've been encouraging people to write not just their MLAs, but finance minister, the um, education minister, the infrastructure minister, the leaders of all the political parties. Uh, we've been in contact with UCP education critic, and we're just hoping to stay in contact with lots of folks in the hopes that we can put enough pressure on the government to encourage Rocky View and Sage to come together here. We also presented uh, last Thursday at Rocky View's public meeting. We had a group, a delegate of, of parents, a delegate of students, and there was a representative from the church as well. And each, each were given time to speak. And then the uh, students themselves had handwritten invitations for our Christmas concert that's coming up on Wednesday and Thursday in the hopes that they will come and see our wonderful community. So basically we have 469 students and they are in a school that works just fine. It was refurbished this summer. And I know Rocky View included in their presentation, you know, $4 million worth of upgrades that need to be done to the school. However, I'm going to put out there, there's a billion dollars in infrastructure deficits in schools across the province. So you know, a $4 million deficit is hardly a talking point when we know it was just flooded and the insurance companies gave the green light for the students to have this year in there. So with all of that said, we're at the point that, you know, we are coming up on a deadline and February 7th is the deadline. If we don't have something in place by then, or if the writ drops sooner, then I just, I don't personally see a solution coming from a public institution. Um, it will likely have to be private. And uh, I know for me as a person who supports public education, I'm, you know, not going to be able to be a part of the rest of that campaign, however that ends up looking. So I'm, I'll probably have to pass off our email list to the group of people interested in doing that work and go from there. But in the meantime, of course, we're going to apply as much pressure as we can 
to as many people as we can to try to showcase what's happening. We've had some great press. Um, I Who knew? There's an, or a little newspaper in Chestermere called The Anchor. They gave us, they were the first um, newspaper media to give us some great press. Uh, CTV News came out and we had uh, Global News came out. We had some really great press. The students set that up. They were fantastic. Set that up, got some press, and then most recently we've had Livewire actually do a little bit of uh, coverage on us. So I think that the information is now out there for people to understand what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. But of course, it's just so stressful because we've had, you know, basically less than a month's notice to do a ton of work and to try to, you know, not just educate folks who may not know a lot about politics, but also try to encourage folks to do letter writing campaigns and such that maybe they're not used to doing. So it's been quite interesting. It's been very stressful. I'm not going to lie. Um, so my uh, my dad, he was raised Lutheran and my mother was raised Catholic. And neither of them could agree on, you know, whether I should be baptized Catholic or Lutheran. So I wasn't baptized at all. But ultimately, Growing up in Alberta, for example, when I we moved to Sylvan Lake from Fort McMurray in grade three, and uh, in grade three we get there and there was you know maybe two thousand people in Sylvan Lake, and there was like eight Christian churches, like you got the Catholic, the Jehovah Witness, the Mormon, the Presbyterian, and I don't know all the other ones that were. I was like, okay, we have all these churches that are Christian that in a really tiny small town so that I've always been raised, you know, to celebrate Christmas and, you know, believe in Jesus, all those things. So my spiritual journey, unfortunately, you know, only became more indigenous led when it was when I finally had my baby. And then when I was starting to go down the red road and I had to pick a school, that was the closest school to my house that had a uniform. And I was definitely okay with it being in a Christian atmosphere because unlike residential school, we had choice and there's no torture involved. Well, other than, you know, regular school, but that is really disrespectful to anyone who knows what has really happened in Indian residential school. Um, basically, I've had my my um, faith questioned repeatedly by um, certain people it's been really painful to try to explain to people who don't know about Indian residential school, who don't care about Indian residential school, um, that basically my family has been tortured to be Christian and tortured to speak English. And I just have a really hard time when you try to do all this free education to non-Indigenous on Indigenous issues to have to try to explain this numerous times over and over just to be question about my spirituality over and over when here I am giving not just my you know free labor emotionally on indigenous issues but then giving my free political knowledge to a group of people who have no you know understanding of the political concept at all so it's been incredibly difficult I'm not going to lie and because it's an NDP government you know, there's a lot of misconceptions. If you read just a small, tiny bit of mainstream media, there's this, there, a lot of parents had an assumption the reason why the school was closing was based off of the uh, GSA issues. I had other people just tell me, well, the NDP hate Christians. 
and there's a war on Christianity. So you can imagine as an Indian residential school um, survivor, well, family member of, 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 you know, family that has survived, how incredibly hard and difficult it is to hear people who truly believe that Christianity is, uh, you know, being attacked, that Christianity is, uh, you know, something everyone believes. Like, it, it's actually been a lot more difficult on my my spirituality, my heart, than I expected. Um, I was really surprised with some of the folk that we met that I had assumed, you know, UCP supporters for the most part ask for a photo with a certain MLA and get denied, actually. I was really saddened and, and depressed to hear all of these folks misunderstand what was happening um explaining that this absolutely has nothing to do with a war on christianity nothing to do with a gsa issue has everything to do with the land receivership issue and contracts and regardless this is a community and this community you know obviously is going to be broken up there's 300 or sorry 469 kids in the school itself 322 from calgary and that's not including all the staff and all the parents and this is a group that really sees themselves as community we have uh kids from all faiths we have uh sick we have muslim we have uh well i'm indigenous um hindu and I'm sure more than I even know. And, you know, it's a public school, getting a public education, small class sizes. And uh, now in East Calgary, as well as uh, Airdrie and Chestermere, you can see we actually have um, maximum capacity already in all the schools. We're at maximum capacity. So 469 kids are going to have to fit into schools that are at maximum capacity, which, as we all know, is not possible. Or if it happens, unfortunately, you know, there will be kids that are are hurt from this. And well, there's one particular volunteer of ours, and, you know, she gets very upset and teary-eyed about the idea that um, some of the other parents and the other students might actually be discriminatory towards the kids because of uh, a public meeting that I wasn't available to go to that happened in Chestermere and some of the things that she had overheard and I you know my heart hurts for for that because she truly feels that her her kids are going to be discriminated against and um you know I know that uh, it was said to me offhand that hey did you know we have at least 10 kids with post-traumatic stress disorder that we have more kids on top of that that are coded with anxiety disorder. So I know the resources that um, when you when you get coded, for those who don't understand uh, what I'm talking about, kids get coded, um, and that's like a, a mental health designation that the Alberta Health gives the kids. And based off of that, then the schools can get funding. So for example, if your kid is uh, coded with anxiety then you get X amount of number of resources, say $5,000. Now, you and I know that doesn't pay for another person. But if you have 10 kids with anxiety disorder, you know, you can start to see how those resources can then be brought into a school to help those kids. So anyway, we know that we've had, you know, cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts. And 
lack of uh, investment into schools for so many decades now that now we're at overcapacity and, you know, the, it's hard for teachers and it's the kids have mental health issues that aren't necessarily being properly addressed. And, you know, something that didn't happen in my lifetime is that a lot of these kids actually have police now in the school as well. So I'm not very happy and comfortable with the state of the schooling, but it just is what it is. We're here and we have to deal with the hand that we have. And the hand that we have is that if we can get Rocky View and Sage to sign something before February 7th, then of course the school will not be closed. Now, unless there's some kind of land agreement, we're just going to continue to have this problem. Uh, you know, if it's a year lease or a two-year lease, we obviously need somebody to buy this land. Um, and a lot of people have it in their head that, well, if we just have an election, the UCP will become the government and then our school will be saved. And I just have asked folks that truly believe that, can you get this in writing? Um, why is it you believe that? Because ultimately, I know that the conservatives are the reasons why we've had so many cuts and now we're all, all these schools are over capacity. And I just, you know, fiscally, it does make sense just to buy this land because there's already a pre-existing school. It's easy to do the upgrades over X amount of years than it is to just rebuild a new school. And, you know, I know that uh, there's some folks in the Sikh community and some folks in the Muslim community that are talking to different investors in the hopes that they can buy Sage Properties, um, this land. So we'll see. But ultimately, it's been incredibly stressful. I've definitely been feeling very pulled in many different directions and, you know, trying to be level-headed about the reality, the real situation, and then trying to make phone calls to certain folks and going to political events and trying to talk to certain folks about what's happening and just giving people Cole's notes versions of, of the events and such. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting, you know, to see who's interested in what I have to say and who isn't and who avoids me from the other side of the room. It's, uh, I think the most eye-opening though was definitely the UCP member that simply refused to take a picture with Christian people, Christian families. I was, I was really saddened by that actually, because I thought, you know, these kids don't get a chance to meet very many, um, you know, education critics and such. And, you know, to not give them a picture I thought was actually despicable. But I also, I'm trying not to be partisan on this because, um, ultimately it doesn't serve anything. So for me to be reaching out to the Alberta party, reaching out to even Derek Vildebrandt. Um, he stood me up, but I'm hoping maybe on Wednesday we'll be able to have a conversation. Um, you know, talking to the NDP, I talked to David Kahn of the Liberal Party, and I'm just trying to put pressure from all the right places. I had a wonderful conversation with Joe Cece in the parking lot, and, uh, you know, we talked about this situation, and um, apparently his assistant had spoken to somebody, and we originally thought, me and this other person thought it was Joe, but it wasn't, thank God. So I'm really looking forward to telling this person it definitely was not Joe Cece that she spoke to because Joe hasn't had the time. He's finance minister. So I guess one of his assistants talked to a parent and it upset one of the, the parents. So I'm hoping that we can, 
you know, have a bigger picture and, and see that MLAs are trying to do what they can do, but they don't always see where their role is in some of these things. And maybe their aides don't always know like why it is that they would be involved at all anyway. But we do know that a lot of the kids, like whether you're in Ricardo Miranda's writing, Robin Luff's, Prob Gill's, it, you're, all of these writings are going to be affected by the 322 kids front in Calgary that have to fit in schools that are already um, over capacity. So, so yeah, we're, that's what's going on in my life. It's absolutely eating up my time and pulling me in a lot of directions and just, you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> typical liberal, trying to stay, stay in the middle, centrist, and just try to, you know, make sure we're hearing concerns from everybody and trying to mitigate those concerns. And for the private investors, obviously that's their world. That's not my world. And I, I hope that some kind of resolution can be found. But what I do know is that because it's Christmas time, it's like the most stressful time of the year for me. Um, don't even have my Christmas tree up working at all of that. Another organization that I was super excited to spend some time with was support our students. Um, I was working with them previously to talk about issues of racism and uh, finally really got to meet them both, uh, both of the women that are are working with this and got to hear a little bit what they had to say um, in general, trying to deal with the school system. And we focused mainly on the Calgary Board of Education. And it was really, you know, I told them point blank. I mean, I know a lot about Indian Act politics. I know a lot about federal politics. And I ran municipally for Ward 10 and spending three hours with them, I still learned a lot because I don't, um, I haven't been invested in the Calgary Board of Education other than the extreme instances of racism where mothers will contact me. Um, aside from that, I haven't, my child has always been in Rocky View. So now I've learned a little more about how the structure of the CBE works Um I didn't realize they had like area directors. So I literally had to ask, can you please explain this to me? So basically there's like the principal and then their supervisor are these area directors. And then it goes up the change to uh, superintendents. And then as they said, the school trustees, they are not representatives of the citizens. They um, actually represent the school and tell the citizens what's going on. So I found that disappointing. I learned a lot more in depth about the coding. Um, with the Calgary East Family Violence Collaborative, we talked a little bit about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and the coding involved with that. So I understood the process from that. But what I didn't know, and I've been learning through the Rocky View School issue, as well as now the CBE with Support Our Students, was that, you know, the coding issue itself is way bigger, where this code of you know getting kids labeled with you know ADHD and that like they are provided services for a year through um, Alberta Health Services but I was completely unaware this was even an issue showing my incredible privilege obviously um, lucky my daughter hasn't had like any learning challenges or anything like that to understand this whole system but uh, I also learned a little bit about um, you know specialized plans that they make um, IPPs, I think they called it. And I was just blown away in three hours what I had learned about people's struggles within the system, aside from the ones that I've heard about racism. And, uh, you know, 
I'm I'm quite nervous to hear what's going to happen when I do put my daughter in. We we had uh, decided which school we were going to put in, and awesome last week it got bad press because some teachers showed up. I don't know if they were drunk and had a bad day, but they basically confined some students, touched them inappropriately, and now he's being charged. So I'm sad, sad that that's the case. I know another parent uh, through this Rocky View. Uh, Prince of Peace closing told me that uh, they were checking out another school and the principal was bragging how we're just getting these brand new security cameras installed and and they seen this as a selling point. You have to understand, you know, I'm old, 41. We didn't have to do, you know, active school shooting drills and this whole concept of having police in the schools, like I, I explained that support our student or support our students to me having police in the schools uh, knowing the type of violence that the police have already instituted on indigenous people and the lack of you know racism training they have and the lack of indigenous education just the idea of putting my daughter in the school system I just I I have so much anxiety just thinking about it on top of Christmas anxiety, on top of can just making sure we do everything we can do to try to save this school because, you know, ultimately other kids will benefit from it staying open. 469 kids. That's, I don't know how they're going to fit in overcapacity schools. So obviously this is kind of where my, my word world is right now. And, um, I want to give a quick shout out to David Lowery on Voices in Recovery. It's a podcast that focuses on addictions recovery. He gives a platform to folks that are in recovery, but I uh, witnessed it when he interviewed Pam Rocker. And just last night, I got interviewed myself. And he said that um, although some folks aren't always in recovery, he still wants to give a platform to a lot of marginalized voices. And uh, I got to tell you, hearing Pam Rocker talk about um so i don't if you don't know what affirmative um policies are in the church it's it's policies to recognize that god doesn't make mistakes in the christian setting and that lgbtq2 plus are um you know allowed to not be looked upon as sinful people and be you know love thy neighbor that whole christian concept that i'm I'm really faking my way through here right now because I don't really understand Christian principles when I've seen the results of the Christian principles too often. But um, in theory, you are allowed to explore your spirituality, your relationship with God and what that means in a Christian setting. And that's what that affirmative, uh, you know, churches that you hear and that are. And, you know, hearing Pam Rocker speak about it, it's always inspiring to hear Pam Rocker. So she has a podcast, highly recommend you listen to that as well. And just really consider that bigger picture of, you know, just because you end up being gay or lesbian doesn't mean you have to um, write off who you are and your faith and your Christian faith. And uh, it really matters to her because she was um, born in, in church in Texas. And you know, she still felt a large calling in that, uh, the way she spoke about Christianity and the way it talked about her being her authentic self and 
how she felt that was actually being truthful to God, how she came out, all of those things. Really wonderful podcast to listen to. And, and I just got to give her a shout out and David a shout out of Voices in Recovery for doing that because I truly believe in my heart that is what has helped me be a lot more level-headed in the last few weeks of me being quite um, concerned about Prince of Peace and, and trying to do what we can to save it and going from there. So anyway, uh, my interview, my my interview talks more about, you know, my journey into politics and you know, talking to maybe more Indigenous voices that are thinking about politics, what that might look like. And just, he, he really doesn't know who I am. So it's really my first conversation with somebody trying to explain a little who I am to them and we went all the way from midwifery and Ma- and Mammy Bular to into federal politics and uh, just a little bit about my journey as well and um yeah so I think that airs on Wednesday December 19th so if you have a chance to listen to it that would be great for those who know me in real life tomorrow is book club and we're going to talk about the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People So I'd love to have you come and have that chat with me. And hopefully we'll be having a podcast about what that looks like for other folks. And because it is December 16th, I came across a really great article that actually talked about safe holidays and making a safe plan to create a safer space for for folks in a Christmas setting. So like, for example, um, I have uh, some family that are trans. And although I won't be seeing them, it gave a really good shout out to say, hey, maybe check in with them and see what it is that they need. And then, you know, for those who have listened to my show before, um, and shortly after this, I'll go over what, you know, how to help somebody, a marginalized person in a situation. And how to do a call in that is safe for a few other people, but in a family setting as well, and be thinking about that during Christmas. And, you know, we all know as well that Christmas can be very stressful for a lot of folks, like a lot of unresolved family traumas (laughs) sometimes pop up. Um, You know, maybe some people will say something really hurtful, something rude, racist, homophobic, whatever. And, you know, some getting ready for that, mentally preparing for that and calling in some of your ally family members about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate and creating a safety plan to create that safer space for yourself or for other folks that are in your family that might be more marginalized. So, and again, I'm going to throw that out. First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline is one 242 3310 toll free open 24 hours a day seven days a week and of course for non-indigenous there are distress centers in your area too so highly recommend that you um, create that safety plan create those numbers uh, here in calgary maybe awuton healing lodge if you're indigenous Um, i interestingly heard over the radio real quick that they said it's actually made up that people experience domestic violence at a higher rate during Christmas time. But then I seen a graph that showed it was basically, I think it was Boxing Day, that there was like this huge spike in domestic violence calls. And so I don't know what to believe right now, but I do know this. I do know the holidays are stressful. I'm feeling incredibly anxious right now trying to, you know, be that person who has their tree up and 
um, make sure we have the right dress and skirt for the Christmas concert and all of that fun stuff. So, you know, it just becomes stressful regardless. And that's just me. That's not even if you have any type of, um, you know, violence that might be happening within the family at all. And uh, I just really encourage everyone to be making a safety plan for the holidays so that that way everyone can be safe. And God help you. Just know that if it's just a taxi from a party home, let that be your safety plan. That's fine. Just know that we're we're in this together to create the safest Christmas we can. Nobody wants to have any uh, unfortunate accidents or any fatalities, that's for sure. So today's episode, I, I just wanted to really focus on the Prince of Peace thing the most and give a shout out to David for having me on the show. And hopefully a few folks will be able to listen to that and get their Philip Michelle because they've missed me the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so that it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the words of, of our elders. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. Here in Alberta, we're going to have a provincial election coming up right away. Um, if they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with like gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, know that your vote to that party is going to directly negatively impact marginalized folks. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform and violence prevention. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. And if they don't understand colonialism, racism, and sexism, they literally have no business running. This should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, etc. And um, funny enough, I just came across a fellow who's like, he's so proud he's going to run. And I'm like, great. Have you ever listened to Indigenous folk before? He said he had a lot of opinions. And I'm like, <clears throat> yeah. <coughs> I was disappointed to hear that. Um, for somebody who claimed to have worked in reserves for a couple of years, still didn't understand you need to listen to indigenous people and that is what you should be using in order to create change anyway violence is just my daily reality every indigenous generation has faced it that's why i started this podcast to speak freely without interruption without tone policing without leadership shaming without gaslighting questions as many people don't want to hear indigenous opinions but sure want to share theirs and usually by people who know nothing about indigenous know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, just typical microaggressions. That we Then we have a lot of folks who are dealing with internalized racism. We have people who are gatekeepers, people that survive off the status quo, and folks that are in a lot of trauma and stop others from doing work and deplete the resources. So Internal and external racism is just an everyday reality for Indigenous people. It's exhausting, and that's why I needed this boundary to be heard. And my hope is that my family and others will learn from what we have to say about these present-day issues 
in a way that will impact them in a good way and move forward in a good way. And uh, I just want to put more cultural safety into action by creating a safer place for Indigenous people of color, those with a disability, LGBTQ2+, and maybe other people that I have missed. You know, if you see people being attacked, whether verbally or, God forbid, physically, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You need to take action to make change. You need to speak out against racism. You need to ask questions of those with more understanding. You need to find allies, create a support system, create your resource system so that you can advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Maybe make up your own resource tape, um, you know, files so that you know where to go to and review it often. Don't always expect this learning to come from Indigenous people. We can't make you read books. We can definitely tell you to read books, but we can't make you do it. Anyway, um, documentaries. If you listen to podcasts, which obviously you do if you're listening to this one, you know, maybe encourage others to listen to that podcast or encourage others to read a certain book or whichever that looks like. So take time for self-reflection. Beware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to say thank you to Here to Help .bc.ca for Indigenous uh, cultural safety and why I should care about it. You know, internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous face, and we experience it every single day by the structure of racism imposed on these lands, like the Indian Act and Indian Residential Schools, um, the 60s scoop, and it, it started in the 60s, but it continues today. So, you know, these are so there's so many books on policies that have been harmful to Indigenous people. Learn about them. Read about internalized racism if you're an Indigenous person because, you know, I know it hurts when your auntie is mean to you or it hurts when you get um, a co-worker that says awful things to you, but that's internalized racism and that's directly related from the structure of colonial racism that's been imposed here. So look into it, feel empowered and know it's not you. It's coming from a place of hurt, from a place of trauma. Um, do's and don'ts for bystander interventions. There you Google that. American Friends of uh, Service Committee has a whole link on it. If you witness public instances of racism and anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, um, ableism, any other form of interpersonal harassment and violence, you know, there are tips that you can do. You can make your presence known. You can make co eye contact with the person being harassed. You can move closer. You can uh, create a barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so, film or record the event and make sure you get the consent of the person being harassed after. Um, you know, take cues from that person being harassed. Are they standing up for themselves in their own way? Do not tone police them. Do not tell them to be quieter when somebody is being harassing to them. Engage with them in the best way you can. Ask them if you'd like them to sit with you. Ask them if you want to move to another train car with them. Um, give them your contact information when the incident is over. Give them your contact information so that if they choose to pursue some kind of like charge down the road, they know that they have you. 
and that maybe they'll call you because they're gaslighting the situation themselves. The most important thing is that you do whatever you can to keep yourself safe and, and that person as well. See if you can pull in other people for support. Work as a team. It's a good idea. And um, don't call the police unless they ask you. For many uh, communities experiencing harassment right now, whether it's Arab, Muslim, Indigenous, Black, queer, trans, immigrant folk, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite any further violence from the attacker. But don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate support with your body. And I'm going to be point blank blank frank that I had uh, an incident happen recently that I was really upset about that, you know, I seen another Indigenous woman being targeted and right away offered her a smudge outside. We invited everybody and yet somebody else felt like they were being attacked by it. And I wish I could possibly communicate to folks that, you know, it really sucks that you have to ask someone who's actually being targeted if they need to move somewhere away from other people and have all of these people who witnessed the whole event say absolutely nothing. Um, this moment actually changed a lot for me, and it's going to probably change the events of my next week. So, well, I'll see for updates from there. Anyway, if listening to this at all, experience, you're experiencing any emotional distress and want to talk, please call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. Um, you teach me humility too, uh, forgiveness from my mom. I want to say thank you to my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family roots and stepping up for teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her I'm a proud second-generation Calgarian. Uh, thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed from to learn from every day, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My patron account is Native Calgarian, Thank you to those who pledge in support, to Amanda, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Dustin, Joni, Judy, Julie, Kenna, Matt, Nathan, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. NativeCalgarian.com is also up. And I just want to also give a shout out to all those folks who see me in real life and tell me that they have listened to my show. Um, it does mean a lot. And if you could maybe put a review up and say what, what it is you learned, that would be amazing. Just because I would like to know what it is that's resonating and what isn't, and we'll go from there. Anyway, I'm hoping to get another show up right away. 
Again, on Wednesday, uh, there will be a long interview from uh, David. So if you're interested, check that out. I'll share it as well. And with that, I just want to say thank you so much for listening.